They were the most depressing group of people Yasarian had ever been with. They were always in such high spirits. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks, starting with the quote of the day. We'll get to it in a second. I'm Ramia Amuthan with Jacob Shymansky and hello. our hello, our technical producer for the show is Nisreen Abdel Majid. Okay, Jacob, quote of the day, which I really like. The first thing I thought of was toxic positivity, but that may not be at all where it was going. <laughs> where did you get it? Uh, this is from Catch-22 by uh, Joseph Heller. Um, this is actually super representative of like the sense of humor in that book. Very cynical and absurd. Uh-huh. But it's it's kind of like when you're in a bad mood, but everyone around you is just having a blast. And you're just like, why isn't everybody else miserable <laughs> like me? It like makes you mad that everybody else is happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. And then the, the thing is, like with the happy part, that's what I was thinking. Like People who just are happy all the time I'm like how this is not real this is oh, toxic I see how you, know you got to that conclusion yeah, yeah, yeah it's like why is everybody else no, happy like B- you shouldn't S. be happy yeah <laughs> get your selfies smiling selfies off Instagram okay you're just lying to all of us um but yeah that's <laughs> I haven't read this book by the way isn't this mandatory reading for a lot of people when you're in middle schoolish? it wasn't for me uh, I just read it because I thought it was because I was interested in it. But this is one of those first books that I read as an audiobook or when I was getting into audiobooks like five or six oh, years ago. Yeah. So back then I wasn't as good of a listener. So I remember how this book left me feeling, but I think a ton of it just went over my head because it was too dense. Like I was too dumb to understand mm. it. And I feel like this one merits a reread because I just remember laughing out loud at this one. All right, maybe we can read I'd it and review it. it. Yeah, yeah, that could be fun. It's one of these books. I swear, everyone's read it, and I'm thinking, I don't know if I just missed school that week or what happened, but I didn't. But then again, I read The Great Gatsby, and I can't remember squat that happens in that book. I just remember not liking yep. it. So sometimes you read audiobooks and you don't retain anything. Nothing. You know what? That actually kind of has something to do with uh, what we want to talk about for a minute here. Oh, okay, good. Not speeding up your book. All right, cool. Uh, yeah. We're going to talk about, at least in the first half of the episode, listening versus reading. Because this is a big, big argument everywhere, all over the net, all over anybody who reads or listens to audiobooks. I think that people um, have a lot to say on this stuff. So if you, t- the question is, did you really read a book if you listened to the audiobook version? Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to talk about. You found a lot on this, okay? Like uh, articles and forums and all kinds of Reddit threads, so we'll get into it. But in the second half, we're going to talk to Amir Khan, our audiobook curator who joins us once a month. He's got some specially curated titles and recommendations just for us. How sweet of him to put that together. Okay, this whole conversation about whether listening to an audiobook is reading. You know, like if I read a if I listened to a book Am I allowed to say that I read it on everything that? Yeah, I, are you allowed to say I read this book? But really, you're talking about having yes. listened to the audiobook. Some people, mm-hmm. and quite a few of them, strongly feel that you're not allowed to say that. Now, it's so mean. It, it's okay. so mean. By the way, I've read through these notes, and I'm just like, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. ouch. <laughs> and you know, and so I got an article and a Reddit thread and a New York Times article 
and I'm not cherry picking these. Like these are very easy to find, and I see a lot of people Google that are the echoing these opinions, right? And I, I think mm. it, it breaks down to one of two things. When you say you're not allowed to say that you read a book when you listen to it, I think people get bogged up in the semantics. Okay, it's not technically reading. You can't say you read it. Yeah. And then that's the biggest. That's argument. the biggest argument. Yeah. And then some people say like they can't believe that you properly comprehended and in took like took in a book the way it was meant to like you literally did not consume the book if you listen to it that part i might be leaning towards that opinion interesting okay even as someone who I exclusively know. listens to audiobooks yes fascinating yes i think that there is a cognitive difference but i guess we'll find out with the studies and research and Numbers. Okay, here's a here's so. a Reddit post I came across that had um six point nine thousand comments on it, which if you're familiar with Reddit, that's ridiculous. Ooh. Okay, and there's so many Whoa. posts like these. Okay. Uh here we okay. go. Far too often people will brag about how they read two hundred to three hundred books a year, but they actually just listen to audiobooks for the most part. Boo. They then get offended when you get confronted by the fact that listening to an audiobook is not reading. It's listening to somebody reading a book to you. It's not reading uh, it yourself. Reading requires an active involvement on your part. Listening is something passive that can be done while doing other things. Whoa. It's like arguing that a toddler that gets read a book by his mother did indeed read it, which is absurd. Okay. Right? Relax. I know. Whoever okay. wrote this. Like, there's okay, some, calm down. <laughs> there's a lot of emotion in here. And by the way, I cleaned yeah. up a ton of typos. Why are you so mad? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pull out the grammar. <laughs> Clearly this person. Okay, listen. I think that, yeah, as you said, someone seems to be very frustrated by this argument to begin with. And I don't think that listening has to be passive. It for sure can be. Absolutely. That's yeah, why totally we agree. started this conversation with, I don't remember what Catch-22 is about. But... Um, yeah, it does not have to be passive. Are you kidding me? And with the amount of audio content that is out nowadays, like we're talking audiobooks, podcasts, audio dramas, radio in general, like every kind of thing out there that you can just consume that's fully audio, fully audio experiences. Are you telling me that these people just take in nothing? Literally nothing? these experiences? Maybe a little Come bit. Come on. But like, okay, let's be real though. People often listen to audiobooks and podcasts passively just for noise. Like, okay, no. Right? That's a they fact. Listen, you nah, know that for Not a just fact, for yeah. noise. Come on, Jacob. Whose side are you on? They listen while doing other things. I will agree with that. Like all of us, right? Even people who listen exclusively to audiobooks, we're doing other things as we're listening. I'm rarely ever just sitting and listening to an audiobook. However, you're active listening still. I don't think we're just you know, throwing away hours of the day for just white noise. That, that, that's fair. I, that I don't think people want to be wasting their time. Nobody wants to be wasting their time, right? No. But I think when you're doing things while listening to an audiobook, your dishes, your laundry, whatever it may be, cooking, you can switch between active and passive. And if yes. you've listened to a good portion of your book up to the point that you're at at any given time, passively you're going like it doesn't matter if you listen to it actively you're going to have missed some crucial stuff that's going to make it harder to comprehend so you need to listen actively 
constantly to be able to properly yes. comprehend it, which is like speaking for which myself. Is practicing active listening skills. Yeah, which is great. You want to be practicing your active listening skills. Exactly. Exactly. So for those people who are like not doing that or for those people who are accusing everybody of only passive listening to audiobooks, I think the question really is, you know, are you listening to audiobooks properly? Yeah. And I'd say, yeah, if you're listening to audiobooks passively, you're doing it wrong. And I, I don't think mm-hmm. specifically for audiobooks, I don't think people are doing that because that's just that's just stupid. For podcasts, I get it. Like, sometimes, Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so many podcasts yeah. that are just legit white noise. Ouch. <laughs> Three hours of banter. Not this one, though. <laughs> Not the obviously not no. Practice your active listening skills while listening to this podcast. Um, what else did you find? Uh, there was an article that got shared a bunch on social media, probably because it has a pretty spicy title. You're dumb and wrong. Listening to audiobooks is not reading. Oh my <laughs> <Okay>. god! <laughs> Some audiobooks have great narration, like how my mom read holes to me when my bed holes was still eight p.m. This meant her narration limited my ability. To interpret the information my own way. Your emotions are based not just on the text that you're reading when it's in the audiobook. The voice of the narrator is set, and the emotions of the scene are strictly set. However, the audiobook narrator says them. If you think that's not a big deal, you need to give yourself more credit for independent thought. I disagree. Okay. I disagree with this really hard. Like the narrator doesn't strictly Ugh. set the emotion of a scene. Um, I think this is somewhere where we might differ, Ramya. But if a narrator gives a bad performance and misinterprets the emotion of a scene, based on the words behind the performance, you can still tell what the author meant to do. It's not like the narrator is completely ruining a book if it's misinterpreting. Yeah, and you and I had a um, discussion about this, I guess. We'll call it a discussion. Was discussion after... in italics there. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> kind of an argument. Um, <laughs> after our uh, guest episode on Access Tech Live, right? We were We really got into this because basically I think that there is a high amount of influence by the narrator. And you tend to disagree yeah. on that as a whole, mm-hmm. right? But I think that, you know, whether or not the person's good or bad, whether their performance is excellent or not is only part of the question. The other part is just that, yes, when someone is talking to you, when someone is reading something to you, I think that there is a decent amount of percentage that we're placing on the performance, the presentation of it, um, rather than having taken it in with vision or with braille i'll say that braille is closer to um just like reading in your head yes right so that's why i think that there are parts of this article or whatever opinion piece that i kind of am like yeah i can see that Uh, it says like one of the lines is interpreting an originally written work by reading it you think more on the story and its themes and yeah you would say no and i say probably i think there's more time or version of reflection versus like somebody storytelling to you i don't know i I can't back it up but that's how i feel i find it it difficult to pick a side on this to be fair because i've never really been a good print reader back when i used to have slight i was such a slow reader and it was never enjoyable um but i just feel like i don't miss anything when i'm listening to an audiobook we got to get Someone on the show who reads Braille 
and audiobooks interchangeably or, you know, both. Right. Well, I already know that they're going to say Braille is better for comprehension. Yeah, but I want to know why. I I agree with them. Right. (laughs) I want the details. Yeah. Okay. I I just feel like this leaves us in a strange place as as blind people who don't read Braille particularly well. Because, like, I feel like we're missing out on the quote unquote best way to read. Right. Yeah. It's true. And that's why access has to be a part of the conversation, which both of these opinion pieces, by the way, these uh, haters who've written like who we've read from so far, they none of them have taken that approach or, you know, leave caveat for people with access needs who can only take in audiobooks. Yeah, well, Reddit isn't really known for its nuance, but in, in whatever, some of the, Reddit needs to do better. <laughs> it, we just like, in a lot of the articles that I came across, they do often put that caveat like, "Oh, but obviously it's understandable for people with <laughs> medical reasons." Yeah, and then like in the footnotes. Yeah, I also come across other articles that they'll say like they're just different, as if they're like equal. But then you could tell in the way they write that write reading print is much better and superior mm. from like an intellectual standpoint and that's another part mm-hmm. of it is that i think there's some gatekeeping happening here where there's an association with like reading print books is like the things smart people do while they wear their glasses yeah. and like scratch their chins whereas like the dumb people are just listening to audiobooks with their mouths agape yeah And there has been some research done into this kind of comparison, right? Like there's a New York Times article that you found. We won't have time to get into it. But the question is, are audiobooks as good for you as reading? And there's a study or studies that point to different conclusions on comprehension and whether it's different between traditional books or audiobook listening. And one of the ones is from a 2010 University of Virginia study. Had one group follow a lesson in text format while another followed the same lesson in podcast format. And the podcast group performed significantly worse, they say. 28% worse. Yeah, that's the difference between an A and a D grade. Like, that's pretty considerable. Um, yeah. There was another study that had one group um, read a piece of text in print, another group mm-hmm. in audio, and another one in both at the same time. And there was no discernible difference in comprehension between the three books. So, yeah. generally... So then you start yeah. to wonder, like, what is it that they're testing for? And how do you even measure Yeah, how that? do you even test that? But I think one of the most interesting findings uh, that I found when I was looking for studies like this is there were studies that were done that... Um, investigated like the eye movements of people reading print Uh, and using really sophisticated eye tracking technology they determined that uh, 10 to 15 percent of eye movements when reading print are regressive meaning that they're looking at previous words that they've already gone by so it's not strictly temporal right it goes back in time and then forward so it kind of tells you that when you're listening to an audiobook you don't get to go back on a whim, right? Or at least when you do, no. it's very clunky. You have to go 15 seconds back. But when you're reading print, you can go back very, very quickly. And if 10 to 15% also, is a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And the yeah. other thing is you probably realize quicker when you're reading visually that you're, you've skipped or you're not paying attention anymore or you're fatigued, right? Or distracted versus an audiobook. I swear sometimes I'm 10 minutes, 15 minutes have gone by and I'm like, what has been going on? Who? Huh? Right? Mm -hmm. Like where it takes a longer amount of time to even understand that you're 
out. It's a different. Like you're just passive listening. It's a different skill. You, you can it become is. a far better listener. And I have heard it argued that when you're listening to an audiobook and you go through those experiences that you just described, like, or you just zone out and then boom, like 15 yeah. minutes went by and you didn't Come understand in. anything, you realize that, like, you can more accurately realize when you're not listening. Absolutely. And that means that you become a better active listener. And then, th- mm-hmm. like, I've taken the habit of when I'm not listening, like, you, you pause it and do something else. Just be like, exactly yeah. same. Just take a break. Because, like, it's true, right? And and especially people who are listening to audio all day for one reason or another, you get fatigued. And it's more about realizing that you are, that you are distracted, that you're not active listening mm. anymore. And oh, ear fatigue is something that when you go to, like, audio engineering school, they tell you about all the time. It's real all and it's time. very affecting. Once you realize how bad it is... Um, th- like you can't forget about it and it applies to no. listening to audiobooks as well and it's it's a yep. physical thing your ears get tired of listening but your brain also finds it harder to to interpret everything absolutely but absolutely. take a break and a- another part of that skill is just being able to do it for longer your your mental stamina for listening to audio yes you got to work on that mm-hmm. exactly and i guess that's a benefit of speeding up your books too because you're not <laughs> listening to it for as long therefore you get less tired it's literally but easier but can you but can you take in the information? Because that's another thing. Like, is the pacing of information what the ideal pacing for your brain to comprehend? Because there's that as well, where I've taken in an entire book at like 1.5 speed, let's say, just to get through it. But it only lasts short term in my memory. And then I can't remember what the heck the book is about. Well, you only so. have yourself to blame. Ah, get out of here. Okay. <laughs> We're, speaking of taking a break. <laughs> take a break from this convo we'll be right back Amrikan air audiobook curator is going to be with us Welcome back. It's AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Jacob Shemansky is also here. And we're going to get to know audiobook curator Amir Khan as he comes on in just a few seconds. But before we bring him on, why not go to the SELA homepage? We love our friends at SELA. They join us once a month as well. But uh, every week we like to give you a preview of what they got going on the site. That is CELALibrary.ca. They've got three feature titles, and the ones up there right now are The Fury by Alex Michael Odds. Um, This is a suspense and thrillers title. There's also Unbroken by Angela Starrett, and this is an indigenous peoples in Canada Canadian biography. And we also have the last feature title up there, The Bee Sting by Paul Murray serious and literary fiction check them out celalibrary.ca and it's easy as pie getting signed up if you aren't already with them and they've got a huge catalog of audiobooks ebooks mm-hmm. and daisy format shout out sila honestly they're such a godsend yo. especially yep. when you consider how expensive audiobooks are Truly. you know for us people that uh, qualify for it when people have disabilities or print disabilities mm-hmm. let's go coming in clutch all the time. Okay, as we said, once a month, audiobook curator Amir Khan joins us. He reviews books. He recommends books. What doesn't he do? Not much, honestly. Uh, when it comes to audiobooks, he is just all in there. Amir, where do you want to go today? Are we reviewing more than anything? We're reviewing and recommending. Okay. Um, I, I was just talking to Jacob earlier, and the books that, that I wanted to feature today are, are more universal appeal 
Uh, they're less sort of niche books of where, you know, some people might not like them, some people might like them. It's more general uh, general appeal. As I think most of the listeners know by now, I tend to read more uh, books with uh, strong female leads. And I think that's the general trend in terms of authors and books uh, for, for now in terms of current mm-hmm. uh, books. I'll start with sort of the more serious one, which is The, uh, the Queen of Paris. Uh, it is a, a historical autobiography well not autobiography but a historical fiction of coco chanel the very famous um, chanel brand and her life and times from when she grew up to all her sort of life and times uh, the book is by pamela bennings ewan uh, it's very well researched very well thought through um, there were several things that sort of came to light more recently in terms of her life um, coco chanel's life uh, and Basically, that lends itself to uh, you know bolstering the story that that she tells in this in this fantastic book. Uh, it's narrated on on Sila. If you're interested in you know fashion perfumery, uh, there's a bit of that in here. But it's a lot about choices and and how you have really have to fight for what you want. For those that don't know Chanel, uh, she lived through the uh, First and Second World War. Um, she was actually a famous celebrity during the Second World War. So she was in Paris uh, for four years of Nazi-occupied France and and Paris, and that's described as well. So what is what is Coco Chanel known for nowadays? I'm completely ignorant to this topic. Like, sh- should I be embarrassed for not knowing her? Fragrance? Uh, yeah. So Chanel is is <laughs> she started off with her. something called the House of Chanel when she first started. Uh, in those days, that's basically gave you the 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 chops to be a fashion designer. So she actually started in oh. what they call hot couture or a haute couture. I'm not sure the pronunciation, but she basically started off with uh, designing women's uh, fashion. Uh, and she is most famous for Chanel Number no. 5, which is her perfume, which is a central part of this particular book. If I had to guess, it's probably the most popular and most sold fragrance in the world, uh, even to this day. So it's, it's uh, you know, she, she was an absolute icon of, of her day. She was actual no-nonsense. You know, she she was a, a businesswoman, but the Chanel is a brand that is recognized worldwide e- even today. Right, right. And that's why I'm curious, though, why the fictionalized? Because this is technically a historical fiction, and you did say it's a fictionalized version of her story. Um, yes. Is there a reason why this would be a big hit over just picking up a biography? It's a first-person narrative. Um, so you're actually living her life through her eyes. So that's sort of the fiction part. I mean, we never know exactly what's going through people's minds unless, you know, you're writing an autobiography or something like that. So that's the sort of fictionalized part. Um, there are parts in the book which I'm sure are fictionalized in terms of events and things. But for the most part, the broad strokes of uh, of historical fiction is accurate in terms of, you know, how uh, the Germans, you know, uh, or the Nazis came into Paris, uh, how the city was was abandoned. Um, what the mood and, and feeling of people were in general. There's the story of, you know, uh, how she lived her life before she became a fashion designer, how she became a fashion designer, all all of those uh, particular pieces. Yeah, the other thing that she is famous for, which is sort of parallels to, to something that occurred more recently in my life, is uh, the little black dress. Um, all of, so she was actually very... Um, uh, she's attributed to popularizing that, but the reason why I say it, it sort of occurred more recently in my life is because I actually went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art recently, and they have an exhibit called uh, "Women Dressing Women," uh, 
and it's it's sort of a a collage of women designers throughout the times um, that they've they've put up as an as an exhibit, and one of them happens to be Coco Chanel, but there was also a designer just before her who actually created the little black dress. So. Um, it's uh, it's a little point of fact and a little point of interest for me. So, so what is it specifically about this book that makes you want to recommend it? The writing, her her story stands up on her own. Like, a, what would you say? Both. It's 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 very well written. It's very interesting. The pacing is good. Um, it touches on a lot of serious topics without diving into them. I mean, you know, when you're looking at something like the Second World War, uh, you know, there's so many different sort of things that you could get into in terms of you know, collaborators, especially the French resistance, uh, especially in that particular geography, right? Anti-Semitism, there's all sorts of things that, 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 are, that are mixed in uh, with, with that particular time period to say nothing of, you know, growing up in the time period that she did. Uh, and she did come, you know, she is a rags to riches story. Mm. Um, you know, so she, she, you know, she really clawed her way to, to where she is. But you know, by today's standards, that may or may not be sort of acceptable, uh, and I use that in quotation marks. Um, but you know, she she was driven, and you know, that's uh, it's an interesting look into that time period in general, and, and how people live their lives, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, um, and it's phenomenally written. I mean, like there, there's it's not difficult to read at all. There's no sort of uh, things that you need to understand beforehand. It's okay. a very pick up and go kind of book. You mentioned the women dressing women, and and that makes me think like there was probably a lot of that, right? Just not the norm, I guess, for women to be uh, entrepreneurial and the kind of challenges and climbing up the ladder situations that people have to face on such uh, drastic levels, I guess, especially to get where she was, which is huge. Exactly. And the other part of it is trying to hang on to that as well, right? Sure. How easy it would be for somebody to just come in and, you know, take it away from, from her or, or whatever and constantly being on that edge. And, you know, especially for people who have gone from being poor to being rich, they are a lot more sort of aware of things that can happen to take things away from mm. them. And, and you get a yeah. real sense of that with, with, with this book where, you know, she's sort of looking... 360 degrees all the time and when things start to happen she's like you know she knows what she wants to do and wants to execute it and is ordering people around even though they are not understanding what's going on (laughs) yeah did you get a lot of the fashion um, industry side of things like obviously that part is there inertly because of who she is but did you get a lot of what was going on in that space during that time no i would hope so there's not a whole lot about the fashion industry itself It's sort of uh, mm. it is her story, and she and there is the part about how she became famous, and some things about you know dressing and and you know going from you know designing hats to dresses to you know uh, being a perfumer and, and what's involved in that. Right. Um, but it's not a deep dive into the fashion industry and fashion icons, and, and it's 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 not that type of book. Okay. For right. the listeners, what's the uh, what's the title again? The Queen of Paris. The Queen uh, I believe of it's Paris. The Queen of Paris. I think it, it has a longer title, The Queen of Paris, Coco Chanel's Coco story Chanel's or something like that. fictionalized story. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. So. All right. We got more to go through. What's next? <laughs> we, we certainly do. Yeah. We read a lot this month. <laughs> we're in <Yeah>. <laughs> We're gonna We're going to go into another historical fiction. I'll, I'll end with, with, a, with a more uh, quirky title. But okay. um, th- this particular one is called the, uh, the Giver of Stars. 
uh, by Jojo Moyes. Um, this is a book that's really, really interesting. I believe narrated by Julia Whelan, if I if I recall. Um, oh, I'm immediately interested. <laughs> yeah. If it's not narrated by her, it's very much her type of book. Um, mm. And it's it's another one. We were talking, we were talking about naming uh, last week, Jacob. And I still don't understand why this <laughs> this title is titled the way it is. Mm -mm. Um, the book is about a uh, time in the in the U.S. history in the 1930s, where uh, Eleanor Roosevelt put this um, proposal together, and it was actually executed to create pack horse libraries. And what these were designed to do was basically women would bring library books to other women in places and locations which were not accessible by car so only accessible by horse and this went on for uh, i think the better part of 10 years so this is a fictionalized story of a group of women in kentucky who uh, were providing the service and all the sort of challenges and things they had to go through so the book starts with basically a, a british woman who decides to marry an american come across the ocean and of course, she's thinking New York and glamour and all this, and she ends up in Kentucky. <laughs> um, not just Kentucky, but rural Kentucky. Um, and, you know, it's it's not a story where she just runs away and doesn't like it. She actually takes to to a lot of the the, the raw beauty of the place um, and, and really wants to make it work. But there, there's so many challenges that are, that are running around, you know, and, you know, typical sort of challenges for that time in terms of, you know, well, you know, when are you going to have kids? And then the, these other pieces and, you know, this this initiative comes along and there's all sorts of resistance to, you know, people reading in general, let alone women reading. Um, and all those sort of challenges that, that, that go along with that, to say nothing of the fact that actually going out into the wilderness to uh, give books to these people. Mm. So this is a historical fiction. So it makes me wonder to what extent does the author lean into the historical fiction aspect of this? Like, is it very, very much about the historical fiction or is it more about the, the story being told here? I, I think it's both. I mean, you know, the, the basis for the story is, is super interesting in terms of, you know, there was a pack horse library in general, which blows me away in general, mm -hmm. um, you know, of, of having people on horseback, you know, delivering and taking back library books. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, it's a very well integrated story where it's talking about that particular piece, but it's also talking about the the fictionalized story of each of the women that make up that that library and their strengths, their character, all the things that they have to do deal with individually. There's also you know a, a sub theme of race that comes in there as well. Um, there's definitely class that comes in there. Um, it, it has a lot of the the same sort of uh, themes as something like To Kill a Mockingbird and you know where the crowd at sing it has that sort of vibe to the uh, to the book I think when you say that people know exactly what you mean without necessarily having to describe it if they read both books because I felt the same way about where the crowd at sing and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird as a parallel but yeah, I mean it, yeah. it has some some of the same elements to there is a court a little bit of a courtroom drama that goes in there as well mm -hmm. Um, mm. But I find it's a shorter book. I think the Crawdads thing and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird feel like longer books than they are. Well, their journeys uh, find... over a longer period of time, you know, years worth. Right, and and I think there's a lot that happens in those books too over over that time period. 
Um, this book feels a bit shorter, not by much, but <laughs> mm. it, 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 I find it a little bit more read, readable and the pacing is a bit quicker, which is, which is nice. Now it's, it's concise. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a compact book, but there's a lot in it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Is there a storyline per se? Yes. Like you've talked about a lot of the themes and such, but I'm I'm curious about you know are, are we following some characters in particular ways? Right. So the the, the storyline follows this particular British woman and and her journey of basically you know signing up for this library and all the things that happen in between uh, while she's at this library or uh, being part of this library. So, so there is there is a theme. I don't want to give too much away in terms of storyline, but you know, her uh, the the family she married into owns a mine, and they are very wealthy, but they're also sort of accused of not uh, being safe. Mm. Um, there's a love story there too, in multiple ways. So th there's a lot to to unpack in the book, and it, it's very enjoyable to read, which is why <laughs> I'm recommending it. Uh, there's there's a lot to like about this book. Um, and, you know, there, there's a little bit of everything um, in the book. I'm curious for you, Amr, do you pick up books like this? Uh, do you intentionally go looking for books like this? Or w when you come across them, do you find that, you know, you usually come across books like this? I'm not sure if Where the Crawdads Sing was a, a, a bit of an anomaly. But for me, it came up right after finishing To Kill a Mockingbird. And I started to think, like, are, are there, you know, people <laughs> writing... <laughs> <laughs> in this particular way well, you know that kind of like isolated like... person coming into mm -hmm. society still kind of being isolated uh, having to be accepted that kind of thing i think sometimes we feel like books are following us right like hey, how, did the, how, yes. did, how did this happen <laughs> well, for, for me i think this this book came i came across because i was looking at just the all the titles that um that julia whelan has has narrated and sort of just picking titles at at random and then taking a look at their synopsis and be like, all right, let's give this one a shot. Right, right. Um, so uh, I think that's where, where I came across this this book in particular. The Queen of Paris was actually a recommendation from a family relative. Um, and that was uh, something I, I picked up. But it's interesting because it's not the only uh, autobiography or biography of Coco Chanel, as you can imagine. There are several. Um, this one is from 2020, which I described earlier. Um, so the mm. the writing is also very much you know modern. I mean, it's not yeah. something where you're picking up something from the 1930s and being like, okay, <laughs> what's mm. going on here? Um, yeah, sometimes they can be a bit dated. Um, so, I'd like to back up a little bit to sure. you, you talked about how this is like a story with this like an isolated character introducing themselves into a new community. I think yeah. we talked about in a previous episode about how like escapism is more popular than ever, and these books. Mm -hmm that have an isolated character introducing themselves to a new community lend themselves beautifully to putting yourself in a character's shoes and like being uh like basically tending that you are the main character not everybody does that but i feel that's become very popular and those kinds of books lend themselves very well to escapism yeah and this book in particular really takes you away too because it's it's not a landscape that most of us are living in I mean, you're in the Appalachian Mountains in Kentucky, you know, on horseback. Yeah, completely you know, in this, different. In this, you know, one street sort of town. I mean, like, n not all of us live in a place like that. That's a cool but... setting. Honestly, I'm interested just for this thing. By the way, that title was The Giver of Stars. Next, uh, I picked up this book more for just fun because we were talking about strange titles and I had come across this vampire book called The Bite Before Christmas. 
and I thought I'd... <laughs> Pardon <laughs> me? Oh, it makes came me... <laughs> across this in February? Can we just pause I, for a second? <laughs> I I thought it was funny, and when I took a look at the, the Sila title, it wasn't human narrated, so I was like... How did you go deep diving into finding this in February? Anyways, the <laughs> I ended up with another book with a very close title. It's called Twas, and that is part of the title, Twas the Bite Before Christmas. Ugh. And... I still don't know why the title is titled that way, except for the fact wow. that the timeline seems to be before Christmas. Um, zombie, it's right? An... Apocalyptic? What is this? No. Not at no, all? Actually, oh, I thought it was just like the whole zombie thing becoming so popular. No, as soon as you put in a title that sounds like it could be a zombie thing. No before. zombies, no vampires. It is actually a uh, lawyer uh, murder mystery. Oh, God. What? Yeah, right. Yes. I'm so, trying not to roll my eyes. Uh, Carry on. Andy, <laughs> it's it's an Andy Carpenter mystery, which I didn't know is a very popular uh, mystery uh, series. Uh, this is from 2023. There's 29 books in the series. Uh, this one is number 28 from last year. <laughs> um, it's a different book for me because it's a, a very male character. Um, but it's it's written in a first-person narrative with a very sarcastic, stereotypical jokey and funny way um where it makes it really easy to read i mean like the book is only six hours long and i think that's probably true for for a lot of the other books um glancing at the titles again from our discussion from from last week i couldn't help notice that most of them have to do with dogs uh and given i've written yeah i think i've read about half the book by now this author is definitely a dog lover <laughs> like it's a, there's just it's just too many coincidences. Uh, you know, there's there's titles like Dog Tags, Unleashed, uh, Collar, <laughs> Playing Dead. Like, there's just... And it didn't start out that way. So that, that was another thing I found interesting. You know, like, the first couple of titles really sound like murder mystery titles, very serious ones. And then it just sort of morphs into all this dog-related stuff. And I'm like, hmm. You think at some is... point the authors just start trolling? Because they're like, yeah, we got a fan base. We're, like, yeah. 20 books in. <laughs> No, you're coming even... up to like a 29th book in the series. Like, <laughs> yeah. who cares what you name it? Okay. Like, I feel right. like at that point, you already have an audience. You could yeah, name you it do. book 29 and they'd buy it. Now, you, now like... it's just about personality, you know? It's like social media yeah. presence. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> Ryan, you've, you've read book. Stephen King's book about writing. And, and I think mm. there's there's Long other... writing. Yeah, and there's other authors that that truly say that, you know, they don't know what they're writing until they start writing it. These right. characters are literally coming to life as they tell the story. And I have a feeling this is probably similar to what happened in this series. You know, he probably started out with sort of a, a serious murder mystery thing. And then he likes dogs. So he put a couple of dogs in the books. And then people were like, oh, these dogs are great or whatever. And then he just sort of leaned into you it. Good feedback on the right? dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's sort of uh, what happened. And, and that happens in a lot of series, not just about dogs, but in terms of side characters and, and things like that, too, where... As well as like homages to real life, right? You know, you hear a lot of narrators talk about, yeah, inspired by my aunt, whoever, and uh, for voices. And it's the same thing, I guess, with characters and different themes where you're like, I'm just going to slap this in. Yeah. So this book is is, is pretty standard. I mean, it's not, you know, super stand out, except for the fact that it it does a great job of skating that line of being non-serious with serious topics. Um, and the premise mm. of it is sort of a standard murder mystery where, you know, you have, you know, a criminal lawyer who's, you know, doling out eggnog at some charity event and the cops come and arrest his friend for murder uh, and they don't know why he's being accused of murder. And it looks like a really good frame up. 
and then you know he's got to sort of do the investigation to figure out why his friend is uh, is being framed um, for something and yeah you know if you follow the clues and things I mean like I said I'm halfway through and uh, it, it's good pacing it's fun um, it's nothing earth shattering by any means but it's it's very entertaining because like you know every chapter he's like oh yeah and I took my dogs for a walk and they didn't give me any answers but <laughs> things like that yeah and even the friend that gets arrested every time he goes to see him in jail his friend is like how are my dogs doing and like oh <laughs> These guys really like their. Dogs. He must have gotten. Uh, he must have gotten a note from his publishers or editors saying like the audience wants more, more dogs. dogs. You need as right. many references. More dogs. I mean, you know when man, it's so funny. Like I'm just gonna go to TikTok. You know when you put up a TikTok video based on the comments, what people want from you, right? Like what the next video is gonna be because it's instant feedback. And I'm thinking with authors, yeah, there's a bit of a workaround, but if you have a fan base, you're gonna start catering. Especially with these long series, like 30 books in, 40 books in. Like, these authors are just cranking it out and mm. might as well Catering start. Catering or pandering? Whatever. Who cares? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's what I'm saying. 50 books be, in. I think to be like, fair as well, you have to look fans. at the, the, the overall length of time that it's been, been publishing as well. Right. Because some authors like, you know, Nora Roberts can churn out several books uh, a year. But, I mean, you know, some authors do like once a year and they've been writing for 50 right and those characters keep keep going to some to some degree mm. but um I, I i mean with this andy carpenter series i am curious to go back to the first one and see how different it is uh, i think i made this comment before too for for a lot of great series which i really enjoy the first book is really not representative i mean you go back and read the first book and you're like yeah this did is not... you did you go back and read the first book again yeah no not 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 for this particular okay, series okay. but mm. i mean you know for something like the eve dallas series uh you know i wouldn't recommend the first one being the best at all uh even some of the sort of tonal notes and pieces mm -hmm. it, it almost doesn't feel like an eve dallas book because again it was the first one and then you know get more refined and refined as you go on do you formally ever recommend to people like eve dallas is one of your favorites you bring it up all the time yep, yep. and uh do you ever formally recommend to people start with book four because first three eh. Sometimes, and again, going back to the recommendation sort of discussion, you want to tailor it, right? So there's yeah. there's, there's other books where you know, like uh, Karen Rose, I think her her name is. She writes really great action books, but uh, they're not really in a, in a in a series per se. But they're all over the place in terms of how graphic each one is. So it's like, you know, which one do you recommend for for that particular audience, right? For the other series, which I really, really enjoy, uh, the Stephanie Plum series, definitely I, I don't recommend the first one to, to people. You know, depending on how, how funny, you know, they, they will prefer a book, I would, you know, choose, you know, one of the other ones for sure. And what's the name of that book for the listeners? Oh, um, you forgot. There's several. There's several to. I think book eleven for the Stephanie Plum series. Um, it's just it's it's a totally off the wall book particular 11. one. Okay. Book eleven yeah, for yeah. Mm. yeah Stephanie Plum. And then I just yeah. casually mm. threw out book four for Eve Dallas, but I have no idea. I didn't read the series. <laughs> Don't listen to me. Um, for for Eve <laughs> Dallas, you can pretty much pick up any except the first book. Um, okay. there, there's some which would skew better th th than others, but. Um, the general template is is the same. I mean, there, there are side characters that grow along with Eve Dallas, uh, mm. along with her relationships. Um, so that's always fascinating for me to see, like, what can they possibly do more with these relationships? But mm. uh, yeah, I mean, she's it's she's start, a fantastic author. Right at the beginning of the formula, um, and then Twas the Bite Before Christmas, right? 
Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. How could I forget? How could you forget? That's what I <laughs> said. Twice the white room. The author's name escapes me. Rothschild, I think. Um, okay. Rothman, something like that. And it's not Zombie Apocalypse. <laughs> no, it's not Zombie but it's, it's, it's one of those misnomer titles. Um, and I'll end with not a book per se, but another really long-standing series. Yep. Um, the Jack Reacher series by Lee mm. Child, which I have uh, reviewed before. If you're into the action genre, it is definitely for you. Uh, the reason why I bring it up now is because um, although I knew there was an Amazon Prime a series about it, I, I was really hesitating to watch it because I really didn't know what, what to expect. I heard from people that it was really good, but I mean, especially for those who haven't read the book and say it's really good, you're like, well, hmm, I don't, don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> don't believe them and it's a different experience, right? <laughs> So, uh, but, but I did yeah. get through season one and I could not put it down. They did a fantastic job. And I don't know if that's because Lee Child is part of the um, executive producing, uh, one of the executive producers or, oh, okay, or okay. Uh, that the people who adapted it, just made great choices. I mean, when you're reading, when you're watching something that is adapted from a book, you're you're sort of looking out for certain things. And, you know, when, when they sort of stray from the book, it can be either bad or good and at least from from my personal opinion uh, i think they did a great choice i mean they changed a couple of things but you know it's really hard to do a lot of in the head type of stuff on screen and i think they did a great job of, of keeping the essence of the uh of the books and the writing and the, the characters uh really well done well that's just it it's very difficult to maintain that essence when you're trying to adapt a pre-existing ip right like what you want to do is because you're obviously going to need to make changes what you want to do is to make sure you keep the essence of what made it great and popular in the first place and tactfully remove the things that weren't so great like i don't know if there's a point of view that isn't very interesting or like a, a subplot that just didn't really lead anywhere like you need to to cut that because otherwise it's just going to become fluff a tv show yeah there's right. been there have been countless horrible adaptations of TV shows and movies because it's really hard to do. And you really want to tell the story, the essence of the story as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's what, that's what I think bugs a lot of people with, with terrible adaptations, right? I mean, the Jack Ryan series is a perfect example on Amazon Prime. I mean, Jack Ryan was a huge uh you know presence in the tom clancy books right i mean there's like you know, 15 books of, of of him from the you know the hunt for the red october patriot games clear and present danger whatever you want to call it and they made this adaptation which has nothing to do with any of the books and you're just like what's hmm. going on why this? yeah and it's not Who even good for? and it's not even good it's like why am i watching this and it's toughest for the people who've read the books, right? Because most oh people are yeah. loyal, absolutely loyal to yeah. the core of, of the books. And you, you know, you might be a super fan and just excited about an adaptation, um, but at the end of the day, you will nitpick and most likely critique the heck out of it. So, you know, going along with what you were saying is um, for feedback or suggestions for adaptations, Jacob. I also think you got to strike that balance of knowing that people are coming in having read the book and like majority vast majority of people and then uh will have that challenge of like what did this piece leave out because i know that it's not the same it's not the same product at all it's a screen adaptation first of all so there's just so much more that's being fed to you rather than your imagination of a visual um but then there's just like the question of what's being left out what's being 
put in, how much creative license was taken on this. And how are you portraying things that are very difficult to portray? Right, uh, yeah. I've, like like Amr mentioned, like very in-your-head stuff and mm-hmm. ideas that are never spoken out loud. Because when you're making a movie, you have to show, not tell. And a book is all tell. It's, yeah. And that's why it's difficult. Speaking of tell, it's like thoughts, right? Internal uh, monologue it takes up such a percentage of a book especially if it's like first person written right and then you have none of that for screen or most likely have none of that and then uh you know if you're like i miss hearing what harry potter has to say <laughs> is that being <laughs> brought is, is that being brought forth on screen yeah. probably not I mean, one of my favorite um spy novels red sparrow series i mean the author was very critically assessed for this uh i I mean i from my perspective if an author wants to be creative go for it uh it's a spy novel to the core but every chapter starts with a recipe uh people are like why what is what is going on here so and they made movies out of this i haven't seen the movies um the recipes in the movies they they weren't well received and you know if you read the book you can it's very much an espionage book. I mean, like, I don't know how you would make a good movie out of this stuff. That's just me uh, being critical. But at the same time, I'm reading this book going, how would you make a movie out of this? There's just so much thought process into, you know, espionage and thinking about things and maybe this will happen and maybe that will happen. How would you <laughs> translate that to screen? Yeah. Um, but to your It'd point... It'd be more like a documentary. Yeah. And to your point, Jacob, I don't know if the recipes made it into the movie or not, but could you imagine watching a movie and be like, okay, this is the recipe for this. It'd be and then way more confusing. We'll, we'll get Special back to the spy Gordon Ramsay. Ramsay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They could just totally Yeah, I'll go the opposite way. Thing. This is James Bond baking a cake, you know? like. Uh, <laughs> I would not eat a cake that it was baked by. <laughs> you were satisfied with this one, with the Lee Child. Yes, I've watched season one. I can't wait for season two. I was absolutely hooked. Usually, if if a series is good, I'll I'll want to savor it and and keep keep uh, keep it aside. But I I couldn't stop watching it. It was it was really well done. The first season is based on the first book, um, called Killing Floor. Um, the second season I don't think is in order. That's fine. I mean, again, it's it's an adaptation. They can uh, pick up the storyline wherever they like. And I don't know if you mentioned this already. It is audio described on Prime. It is audio described on Prime quite well, actually, by WGBH, uh, I believe. Okay, um, great. So, so I was going to say, or else we got to cancel this whole conversation. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first hesitation. I'm like, is this thing going to be audio described? Uh, yeah. Yes, it is. Oh, okay, let's do this. Accessibility first, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Yeah, this is nice. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess the other only other real recent experience I've had about this kind of theme is um, All the Light We Cannot See, which we've already talked about to nausea. Uh, and, w- and was that a good adaptation, would you say? I'd say so. They made it a, a short four-part series, right, based on the book. Good. And, um, good. At least it didn't make four seasons out of it. <laughs> no, no. No, it was... <laughs> Pretty well to the book. Um, And they kind of even worked with the timelines cleanly. Like a quarter of the book is a quarter of the, uh, you know, series kind of thing. Like they kept to the timeline. The Mm. only kind of issue that a lot of people had, including myself, was the tone. There was such a drastic difference in tone between the book and the the characters in the book um, portraying their situations versus the netflix series and it was kind of like what this 
this is so different, like vastly different. But I guess that kept it interesting also. I'm not even sure if this is criticism because it kept it interesting for me because I'm thinking, oh, all the same stuff is happening, but it feels very different. Almost like there were two different, different characters. How? Was it darker, more gloomy? Yes, exactly. Or? The uh, Netflix series was much oh, okay. darker, much gloomier, much more terrifying and terrorizing um, compared to just the way that things kind of patiently, slowly took place through the book. And I think mm. tolerance is one of those things about adaptations that, that, that you have to take into consideration as well, right? Mm-hmm. There's some there's some things I've seen on like Netflix or on screen where... I, I had a great experience with it, but I have no interest in picking up the book and getting more of it, right? I mean, The Maid is a perfect Fair. example. You know, The Maid was a, a very difficult but fantastic show to watch on Netflix. But yeah. do I really want to crack open a book and experience that again? No. No, the <laughs> melancholy I, I, and such was quite well portrayed on screen. Exactly. And, yeah. it's, you know, something like with Margaret Atwood books that we've looked at before, too. I mean, oh, now we have a screen adaptation. I'm like, I read the book and went through the heart wrench already. I don't, <laughs> don't want to go but through Margaret that again. Margaret Atwood books, <laughs> Margaret Atwood books, especially like all the dystopian stuff she writes, I, I find make for excellent TV. And yeah. like everybody who's done anything with, um, what are the two? Handmaid's Tale and there's one more can't think of it right now um both shows were so cleanly produced like they did such a great job and it's one of these things where you can get excited about how to make this book work for tv and they did that like you can really tell so and some books definitely lend themselves better to being adapted yeah like i yeah fantasy is like almost impossible to adapt people have tried and it's not been good why why is that they tried well, because you have to portray a bunch of magic and things that cost a ton of money to produce on screen. Lots of CGI, lots of characters, crazy costumes that can end up looking really cringe. Uh, it's yeah. just like... It's, it's a lot of theater the, people that, that's complain, required, right? Yeah, exactly. People complain about the costumes in fantasy TV shows all the time. They're just like, it's not dirty enough. Why is it so clean? <laughs> it, you look like you're cosplaying. They're really, really picky. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite authors, Matthew Riley, writes action books, famously said once, you know, I, I love writing. And they asked me why, you know, like I can I can do stuff at a, at a big scale without costing anything. You know, I can, sink an, air, I yeah. can sink an aircraft carrier that's like two billion dollars and it doesn't cost Very me anything. Very true. <laughs> like, just with my words. <laughs> right. Just with my words. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. I don't think we can talk about adaptation to TV without talking about a Canadian classic. Have yeah. you seen Anne with an E? Oh gosh, yeah, so good. No, I haven't. So good. So I haven't seen it yet, but it has been talked about so much um, that it makes me want to pick up the Anne of Green Gables again, even though I wasn't able to get through it the first time. So. Oh, well, there's a lot of these I couldn't get through it first times that you've in the past year picked up and got through. So maybe Anne is your next one challenge for Amr. All right, well, Amr will be back next month. He is our audiobook curator coming in here with recommendations and reviews and all kinds of fun audiobook chat. Um, do you know what we have going on next week, Jacob? Next week, um, Ted Cooper is coming on to be our victim for the Rapid Fire Review. We nice. haven't done that in like a month. Wow. I honestly can't wait. Honestly can't wait. That's a long time. All right, I'm looking forward to it too. I don't think I've ever talked books with Ted Cooper, so uh, it's going to be fun having him on the show. We mm-hmm. also, of course, are always down for your feedback, so send it to us. You can call us, 1-866-509-4545. You can also email us, feedback at ami.ca. 
And that's a wrap. So catch us next week for more audiobook chat. And until then, happy audiobook listening. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.